0: This episode is sponsored by Apollo, a tool that's helping me to open doors and close deals faster. Wanted to share it with you. Apollo is a complete end-to-end sales platform, letting you email, dial, connect on social, build plays, and schedule meetings. With conversational intelligence transcribing my calls lately and reminding me to act on my next steps to drive deals across the finish line, it's been a lifesaver. It's no wonder Apollo is the most loved sales tool on the planet. Thousands of users rank Apollo as a top tool on G2. Start today completely free and see how Jesse and I use Apollo. Sign up in the show notes below or at thesalesplayers.com forward slash Apollo. That's thesalesplayers.com
1: forward slash A-P-O-L-L-O to start your free trial. If you do any prospecting with LinkedIn, you have got to go get set up with Surf. That's S-U-R-F-E. It's a tool you can use to add new contacts to your CRM system directly from LinkedIn in seconds. I'm using it every single day. I add contacts, follow my deals, keep track of notes, and it ends up saving me a bunch of time on prospecting and outreach, which means I can spend more time moving my deals along. The data is always 100% accurate since I don't have to copy and paste all the fields over from each and every contact that I wanna put in my CRM. Instead, Surf does that all automatically with just one click in about 60 seconds. The team over at Surf has put together a very special offer for fans of sales players. There's a link down in the show notes and you can use the promo code JWSurf5, don't forget the E at the end of Surf, that's JWSurf5 for 5% off your first year. Don't spend another minute doing things manually, go get set up with Surf. Okay, I'm very excited to welcome back Chase Barmore to the podcast. Chase was on at some point last year, I don't remember exactly when. uh, He is an account executive at What Converts. And before that, he was the founder of two different companies one was uh, a juice bar called Life Bar, and the other was a valet company. And we previously had him on the show to talk about his transition from working as an entrepreneur into the tech business he started out at what converts as a business development representative and he's recently taken on an account executive role what i love most about working with chase and partnering with him is his ability to network he is connected to everybody he is uh, he's you know jumped both feet into the tech industry and uh started really working his magic in terms of building a, a really strong network and community around him He is very active in the SaaS sales player Slack community that we've put together. And uh, it's super exciting to have him back on the show to talk about some of the things that he's been working on recently and some of the deals that he's been doing here uh, as of late. So without further ado, welcome Chase back to the SaaS sales players. The microphone that I started the show with was the Blue by Yeti. It's like a $99 mic on Amazon. I really should put some kind of an affiliate link out there because I've recommended this mic to everybody that I know. And you might be thinking, well, I need to have a podcast to go and invest in a podcast mic. And I would say this is like a a hybrid podcast mic. I think a lot of like YouTube streamers use it and gamers and things like that. But where I've used it a lot, and that's not the one that I have in front of me right now. I'm using a Shure at the moment. Um, this one's a little more, if you want to get more serious into content or audio creation, but the Yeti is great for just zoom meetings, because here's the thing. This is a, this is something that actually happened. I had a prospect a few years ago when I was using my Yeti mic, just on my desktop for zoom calls for selling. She said, wow, I've been on six vendor calls today because we're evaluating for this project and you sound crystal clear you're the first sales rep that doesn't give my my doesn't give me a migraine when i listen to you talk um because she's like it seems like every person on zoom just uses their default microphone on the laptop and so it just it can get kind of the sound can get kind of degraded and and it's it's scratchy or it can sound like muffled and so she's like you sound like you're on a radio show or something you sound like like a million bucks and so then she asked me what, what mic are you using? I held it up and I was like, it's this uh, Blue by, by uh, or the Yeti by Blue Microphones, I think is the, the name of it. Uh, the Blue Yeti. And she's like, wow. And she bought one like, a, like less than a week later, I talked to her again and she's like, I got one of these same mics. I just thought it would help my Zoom meetings a lot, go a lot smoother if I had better audio quality. And so I tend to try to use that or I now have this Shure mic, which again is specific for podcasting, but I actually keep this plugged in. Sometimes I keep it out of sight, and uh, it's one kind of little hack if you are a remote-based seller on how you can up your audio uh, audio game. And I'll, what I'll do is I'll put a link in the show notes for the for the Yeti. Uh, it's a great mic, and it will. It, it, the other thing that I like about it is it has a mute button right on the actual microphone. So if you have to cough in the middle of a of a demo or something, you can just hit the mute button. Cough. I call it the cough button. And then it actually doesn't show on Zoom that you're muted. So people don't know you're muted or nobody notices anything different. You can totally be coughing or someone's shouting at you or something like that. You can just quickly mute your mic. So anyway, that's the blue. Uh Chase and I were, <laughs> we're just uh riffing on tech and gear and stuff. But Chase, welcome back to the podcast.
0: Thanks for having me back, Jesse. This has been awesome. Great, great to have you back uh in my queue, you know, in twenty twenty three.
1: Yeah. Um you you've had some some big moves here in the last couple of weeks, months and so I wanted to bring you back on to to talk a little bit about that. Uh, we were just debating it's it's Friday and it's uh it's a really nice kind of spring day outside for me and we were just off air debating what we wanted to talk about today. Um so we're kind of just open mic in it right now. There's no no formalities here. We got a couple of different topics that we thought we'd cover, but uh let's let's start with uh you you made a big career move. Um, tell us about that. Tell us about the experience so far and yeah. What's, uh, what's new there. Yeah.
0: So, uh, all, all thanks to Jesse and, uh, the SaaS sales players podcast crew. We, uh, I, I started my tech career 11 months ago. Um, I'm almost in my first year in tech and, It's been an interesting ride. It's been a wild ride. I've uh, gone from, I started as a BDR at what converts and we just are starting to scale. And so now they've uh, promoted me to be an AE. And so I've been in the AE role for the last, I don't know, four or five months, maybe I guess. Yeah.
1: So tell, tell us about what the day-to-day looks like now, just from, from transit. First of all, before we jump into that, what do you, what do you think it was that, that helped you accelerate so quickly? Because one of the questions I get all the time is I've been in SDR for a year, 18 months, two years, five years, whatever the, the, the time frame is. What do you think it was that helped you accelerate from SDR to AE so quickly? Give us maybe like the two or three things that you think you've done that maybe others haven't thought to do. Um, or that really made you stand out as someone that was ready to transition from that role to the AE role? Yeah,
0: it's a great question and unique. I think I was in a very unique situation with the company that I chose since what Convert is fully bootstrapped. Mm
1: -hmm. We didn't
0: have a full team of SDRs. And when I was hired, I was hired as a BDR. So basically I was doing all my own prospecting, getting my own, booking my own meetings, doing my own demos, closing my own demos. And one of the things that helped me to accelerate was building my network and like being, even being a remote worker, going outside into the real world and creating a network of people.
1: I, yeah. And we were talking about this a little bit because if you follow chase on LinkedIn and you should be following chase on LinkedIn pretty much every week i feel like i i boot up my linkedin feed and it's it's chase at some event somewhere in person maybe in a different state maybe in the same state you're in sometimes on stage sometimes drinking a like nice glass of bourbon you know and and i'm always scratching my head over here because since since the pandemic started it's been really hard for for me to get back out there uh, i've done a few in person events but it has not been what it was before the pandemic for me And what I've gathered is that you're figuring out where these things are happening on your own. This is not, uh, you're, you're not waiting for your, your manager to come to you and say, Hey, we're going to fly you out to this event, or you need to drive over to this event. You're out there figuring it out on your own accord, how to be more present in person, uh, and make more connections in person. What are some of the ways that, and, and we probably talked about this in the last episode you did, but remind us again, what are some of the ways that that you're finding these different uh, networking events? Because I do think that's a huge, probably a huge reason that you've had so much success so quickly.
0: I would agree. And uh, there was a book that I read. It was called $100 Million Offers by Alex Hermosi. And he says, he has this quote that just sticks in my mind there's riches and niches. Mm-hmm. And when I'm looking at networking, I'm trying to niche down. I'm trying to understand where are my prospects going to be hanging out? Where are the people that are going to be influence? Not even influencer and in influential buyers, but where are the people that I am looking to connect with potential buyers, potential stakeholders, maybe VCs, where are they going to be hanging out at? Mm-hmm. So the first thing that I did within Louisville and that's where I, I lived for a, a while, and I just we bought a house and we moved uh, outside of Frankfurt and Kentucky. But I connected with someone at the Greater Louisville Inc. and that's like a chamber of commerce. So every city has a chamber of commerce. Every city has small business networking. Every city has this, so you can find this, and they're actively doing that work. There's BNI. I'm not really. Uh, I haven't been to BNI, so I, I haven't. I can't give a yay or nay on that, uh, because that's like a referral based, connect networking group. But what I have found is one of the things, and one of my own passions is being a former founder. I love other founders. I love other entrepreneurs. But what I didn't realize as a founder is there's tech groups that are for founders, hmm. and and startup scenes. So I've gotten involved with the Uni- the University of Kentucky, the University of Louisville, Venture Connectors in Louisville, Indianapolis with their Martech scene, and I we're going to go back to I remember talking about this this damn Calendly link. Yeah, you know, it's like having the Calendly link, having your uh, your LinkedIn, and just connecting with two or three people at every event in a genuine way and learning more about their business and then sometimes you can either get intros from those people or they are your target market you already know that you're going after them but it's a genuine connection and you're curious
1: so with most of these you're you're getting in the car and you're driving is it just across town or are you driving a few hours to get to another city what's been the sort of typical travel and and yeah yeah just a kind of travel lift if you will
0: yeah. So, um, for where I was located in Louisville, where our apartment was, we were located right downtown and me and my wife, we share a vehicle. So I would just grab a bird and I would just take a scooter and just go to oh, these nice. different bars or wherever they were a couple miles away. I mean, everything yeah. was really in a downtown area. So that was awesome. Um, I've been going to Lexington, which is like an hour away Gone to Indianapolis, which is in about an hour and a half away. But the majority of my meetings, I've found like a bunch of networking meetings that are virtual and they're on Zoom. So I, yeah. I, I just am right here. In That's my cool too.
1: Yeah, that is nice. Um, do you do anything before the event to try to book book sessions or book appointments with your, your targets there? Or are you just kind of wait and organically to let those conversations happen at the event in person?
0: I I do some research. So I obviously, uh, I'm now actually on the, I'm not, it's like not a nonprofit, but there's a a group in Louisville called the Startup Grind. And they, it's actually a a nationwide or international conference, but they have like local chapters. And so there's a local chapter in Louisville. And I just would go to this meeting consistently every, Mm -hmm. it was last Wednesday of every month. And so I would always be there, and they would always promote the speaker who was going to be speaking, the founder who's doing a fireside chat. So, what I would always do is before that meeting, uh, I would know who the speaker was. I'd reach out to him on LinkedIn. I would say, Hey, you know, my name's Chase. I really look forward to this discussion you're going to be talking about. I would love to meet you at the event. And these events are only like 20 or 30 people. So, you're going to be able to meet the person. It's very intimate, it's not like one of these big yeah. conferences where it's just there's thousands and thousands of people it's very organic and you know people trying to get in the startup scene and tech founders could be software developers could be engineers could be people from GE Humana former workers
1: yeah that's know, cool that are,
0: yeah
1: yeah that's cool to hear that there's it spans verticals right it's it's not just one Typical types. That is what's interesting about the kind of chamber of commerce approach that I'm hearing is like it's not just a a specific industry trade event. It's it it spans a lot more industries and verticals. So you can you can try to capture uh, you know basically cast a wider net, right? Than than if you were just going to a very niche conference somewhere that only focuses on one type of person. So when you meet prospects there, the calendar leads is. You'll. I assume you just connect with folks on on LinkedIn, or do you? uh, Is there another way that you try to stay in touch and follow up after the show, or you're trying? It sounds like you might be trying to book meetings directly via Calendly for follow ups, depending on if they're the right buyer persona.
0: Yeah, you know, it's like, and sometimes these meetings you can actually see who's going to attend. Uh, via LinkedIn so you can see if there are good prospects there so you can really be like all right I need to go for this marketing agency I know they're going to be there I need to talk with this person yeah um, and you have a really honed in approach but for these smaller events where I really might not know everybody all I'm trying to do is just use the LinkedIn barcode or uh, QR code connect with them connect with them on LinkedIn and make sure that I follow up and add them to my CRM And then get a cadence going of, you know, and, and start liking, commenting on their post. And then most likely just say, Hey, I want to have a one-to-one with you and just connect and understand your business more.
1: Nice. Tell us uh, a little bit about closing the, the, the gap between, you know, the skill of being an SDR, which is heavy prospecting, cold calling, emailing, networking is also part of that. But now to, to closing deals. And I understand you've got a couple of deals under your belt now. Um, how was the transition from, from, and I know you're, you're formerly a business owner, so you know a lot about negotiating and uh, signing paperwork and those kind of things that are involved with the deal process. Um, but tell us about how, how you started to, you know, maybe before you jumped into the AE role and then once you were in that AE role, what were some of the things that you did to, to make sure that you, you know, you were thinking about how to close deals and, and building a process for yourself there?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. One of the things, and and my uh, SDR, uh, his name's Antonio. He's we're working in pods now, and we talk about this a lot. Is you know when I hear the word cold call, like I feel like people think it's like cold, like it's there's no human humanness to it. Yeah, and one of the things that I'm intentionally in my life, I'm trying to be more. Create human connection. So even when I am prospecting, when I'm selling, when I'm on a demo or I'm on a call, I'm not just trying to push my product down your throat. I am con- it's a consultive conversation. There's some give and take, and yeah. I really want to nurture the relationship because yeah. that, what I'll tell you, is like one of the first deals that I sold. It might not have been that big of a deal. It was for a allergist. They had about 50 locations. They needed new call tracking services. And they were looking at a competitor. They were moving from a competitor to us. And we sold them and they were very unhappy with their current provider. Mm. And that was really when I got into that demo. And this was an inbound. When I got into that demo, they were just really, I could see that their marketing team, there was about six people in the meeting they were physically upset and dealing with this software solution. And so just understanding what they were going through and just being like, you know, it's not going to be like that with us. And I'm going to make sure that you don't have that same experience with what converts. And staying with that prospect the whole time, even when I've handed them off to onboarding, even when the customer service manager gets with them, Making sure you're following up that process and that they're happy is gold.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Because Was what it... happens about six months later, mm-hmm. one of the biggest deals of my life comes in and they ask me. And they're in the same healthcare industry. They're in a they're a Fortune five hundred company. They say, Hey Chase, we're you're going up against call rail. And we're going up against what converts. And they said, do you have any references of people in the medical industry who have shifted from oh, call rail no. to what converts? Wow. And I said, you know, what I actually do, let me make an introduction
1: <laughs> fresh off the press. Yeah.
0: Fresh off the press. And that referral, that reference is what got us that deal.
1: That that's a great story because that that's so how yeah, we, <sighs> I think it drives a few points home. One of them is that, uh, you know, striking while the iron's hot is like one of the cliches. But the other one is like the the success breeds success, right? So you have uh, what I've found for me, especially in the last 18 months. When I have a win, I usually have another win that follows very, very closely behind it. Um, because when you're winning, you're kind of getting this, you're getting this momentum and that's contagious. And stuff just starts to fall into place. You're already in like scrappy problem solver mode. And so I love that coming off that one, that, you know, snowballed into a much bigger deal because they were from the same industry and you were able to, did you, did you introduce them as references or, oh, okay, cool.
0: And, and it was and you know, I think that that is pretty, uh, it's a little bit, I mean, it's an ask. You know, you're asking somebody, I mean, it's a, but the first ask that I did for this company was to get them a G, get a G2 review and they were happy to write a G2 review. So I knew that since they had written a G2 review three months before, three months prior. Yeah. They were happy to, they had a great experience. And so I was like, they're willing to share it with somebody else.
1: That's cool. Yeah. That's pretty soon to, to provide a reference. That's really really awesome that they did that. Um, But yeah, that's a great story. So with your deals that you're doing, are are there usually several decision makers, maybe not decision makers, but several stakeholders involved in each deal? Or does it tend to be one person that takes charge of it? Or is it a steering committee, uh, a committee, especially for the large one? Do you have like a big procurement group or something like that, that you're working with? How complex do these get?
0: On the larger deals uh, that have procurement departments, they have law departments. So then you're going through all these different gates and you think that the deal's going to close. And then it's like, oh, we're going to push it out another two weeks because procurement or whatever. So that I've yeah. dealt with that. Um, and then we're also dealing with marketing agencies who might have 100 or let's say 50 to 1,000 clients. Individual clients, but they're already using a solution and they're hesitant to migrate everybody over to our solution. So that's yeah. always a a a problem uh, that we solve. Uh, and then sometimes you're just in the right place at the right time and it just falls right into place and you can get a deal done quickly or somebody inbound comes in and they're just on fire and they need it done immediately.
1: Yeah. Um, how has your, how has your pipe pipe generation changed since getting into the AE role? Have you had to kind of taper off the amount of outbound that you were doing from the BDR role to the AE role, or have you tried to keep it the same, um, or, and, or have you done anything different that you weren't doing as an SDR BDR that you're doing now as a, as a rep that's, that's different from a prospecting standpoint?
0: It's a great question. I would say that I'm not going to as many I was going to so many meetings when I was uh, a SDR, BDR and in person and I've sort of taken a step back on that. And I would say when I was networking, I was really just taking any one to one. It really didn't matter who you were. I was just willing to talk to you. And yeah. now that I'm in more of a my calendar's getting a lot more full, I'm instead of taking every meeting i'm refining the approach and who i'm going after um and i'm being a lot more strategic and what i'm what i'm going after and really even even if i have a one-to-one with somebody that is not an ideal customer profile i still know how to ask them to say if you know anybody in marketing that works with plumbers or lawyers or uh any service based industry, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: that's a great referral source for me. And then that person, a lot of times will refer me or that'll spark a, they'll be like, Oh, have you talked to John or over here at this agency? And that's, you just try to keep that going.
1: Nice. Yeah. So I, I,
0: you know, uh, I don't know. It's like, I do, uh, I have a great SDR. We have great SDRs on our team. But when I I've I've never had SDRs on my team before, so I'm always just I'm continuously booking meetings myself because I just I can't rely on somebody else. And if I want to get to where my goals are of want to hit two hundred fifty thousand dollars in uh, income for myself this year, I'm gonna mm-hmm. have to push it. I'm gonna have to book my own meetings, and and I know that.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that's a mentality that I've always held is even, even with the, the kind of luxury of having SDRs and it is a luxury because and it's a luxury that can get taken away really quickly sometimes. Um, when, you know, the, the structure changes or, uh, you change companies and you go to a company that doesn't have an SDR team. So I've tried not to get too used to it as, as like my only source of pipeline. And I've always had the mentality actually that, that the SDRs work is, is like extra. Um, it should, you know, I should try to generate the metric that, like most sales managers use is somewhere between three to five x pipeline coverage. So if your quota is a million, let's make it easy numbers. if your quota is a million bucks a year in in enterprise selling, um, which a million is a pretty normal standard number for for enterprise sales reps as a quota. Then you over the course of the year need to try to generate somewhere between three million and five million dollars in pipeline. The more the better, but getting over five million dollars of pipeline is is not an easy feat. But just relying on an SDR, just relying on marketing inbound leads, you likely will not get that kind of coverage, especially because. The the bigger deals tend to be done through outbound prospecting because you're able to then kind of target big companies that have big problems that you can go out and solve with your solution. And so I've always held that same mantra that like, yes, it's great to have the extra supplemental pipeline coming from an SDR lead or coming from a marketing inbound demo request. But if I want to have three to five times pipeline coverage for the year... And by the way, you can break that pipeline coverage out over the quarter. I mean, if your if your quota is two hundred fifty thousand dollars a quarter, then you can just try to have seven fifty in pipeline every quarter because it's really you know it's really hard to have full pipe coverage in the first couple months of the year because you're still hitting the ground and trying to build it. So, uh, in a lot of these industries. You hit the majority of your number from a handful of deals. I shouldn't even say a handful of deals, like one or two deals. And those may not close until closer to the end of the year, you know, late August, September, before code freezes happen. Or they happen earlier in the year, you know, January, February, March, and that kind of makes or breaks the rest of your year. So it kind of depends, but yeah, that, those are the the numbers that I try to go by is how do I build five times my, my annual quota in pipeline? And if I break that out in, in quarters, what does that look like? And when you really run the numbers, you'll realize that you can't get there just on, you know, taking leads from, from, SDRs or or marketing channels, you've got to really go out and do some of your own outbound prospecting.
0: And it's a skill. I'm I'm starting to understand that this is a skill and not, not everybody has it. And it it can be taught though. That's the amazing thing is, is uh, I know a lot of people, and that's one of the things that I was thinking about when I was listening to your show is how, how do I develop this skill? You know?
1: It sounds like you're doing a lot of the right things. i mean, you're you're doing more than most people that that are in my network, like figuring out chambers of commerce and and trying to really pinpoint who your buyer is and then finding other ways to reach that buyer that aren't just cold emails, cold calls. those are those are you know, sort of staple channels, right? i I send cold emails. I do cold calls. um and they're great. Yeah, they do get pipeline, right? But it's cool to hear that you're doing things like, Hey, if I just go to this event, I might meet someone who can introduce me to someone who might be an opportunity. And it may not happen now; it may happen in six months from now. But I've already started planting the seeds that I'm going to sow later on this year to to continue to drive towards my my number. So those are those. And and lately, what I've been trying to do this has been a little bit harder, but I've been trying to ask customers for referrals. And this is something that like what I found hardly any companies actually implement this Mm -hmm. and very few reps out there are good at this. Um, I would lump myself in that also. I'm still learning, but asking your customers for introductions to people in their network is a way easier lead than a cold call or a cold email, because if you're already a happy customer, you should be pretty happy uh, to go and introduce someone in your network to to the rest of the team. Um, So I've been trying to do more of that. This year, I've been working on some channel type deals. So if your company has like a channel or a partnership program where a partner rep can introduce through a, through a reseller through a third party or a referral partner or something like that, uh, those are all, I think, channels that are going to continue to grow, especially over the next six to 12 months. As we're kind of in the and beyond, I, you know, six to 12 months is when we're going to see a big spike. And then I think beyond that, you'll see more and more people thinking about selling through the channel as opposed to maybe the more traditional ways of cold emails, sequences. I don't think those things are going away, just to be clear. But I do think that there might be more emphasis on other ways to find prospects besides just the traditional selling tactics. Um, and so I think it's cool to see you're getting a big head start on that by going out. Networking with people in person, connecting on LinkedIn, attending events on Zoom, uh, conferences on Zoom, or shows on Zoom, and you know, doing things like this. Like uh, I know you're involved in a bunch of different uh, Slack communities, also, uh, and uh, I think that's a really cool way. Slack is a very underrated tool in selling, and I've talked about that on the show before. Some ways that I use it, whether that's connecting with your buyers and actually bringing your prospects into into a Slack channel, which I've done tons of times. I actually just recently did that uh, where I had my, you know, executive decision maker in a Slack channel and I had direct access and could ask questions and follow up and get information transferred really quickly. And then I think you're using it, which is pretty cool as a way to to generate some leads and to start to build those relationships for, for future deals.
0: Totally. Uh, it's, I can't believe there, how many Slack communities there are and there's niche Slack community. So there's like a Flyover VC. uh, I think it's called Flyover Tech. Then I'm in Scotty Lease's little sales club, uh, some other CPG groups. And I can just hop back and forth. There's like a Lexington one. There's a Louisville one, Louisville Tech. And they might not be that active, but you can DM people in these things. And a lot of people are willing to take the time to talk.
1: And, and you can and ask. People, yeah. A lot of people have Slack on their phone. I mean, mo- yeah. most people probably do because they're, if there are companies using Slack, they have Slack on their phone so that their manager or their team or whoever can reach them at any given point. So once you get one Slack on your phone, typically all your other Slacks end up on your phone, right? So if you got your employer one, any other memberships or communities you're part of, and then, you know, from a just networking standpoint, it's a really easy way to get cut through some of the noise and now that we're talking about this, thousands of people are going to rush all the different Slack communities and use them for places to scrape prospects, but you can connect two Slack channels together too. So this is how, this is the trick for for using it for prospecting is it's, a, it's not super complicated technically, but you do probably need to reach out to your administrator at your company. So if you're selling a SaaS, SaaS product or you're working at a SaaS company right now, Uh, you can invite your prospects into your Slack um, and they can actually link their Slack to your company, Slack, and make a shared channel. And then you can... I'm telling you, it's the easiest way to follow up with people. Wow. Because if you think about... That's awesome. Because like... Look, and I really do see, I know like Slack started out as like this email killer. And I think in a lot of ways it has, because it's definitely killed internal memos and emails because most people will just post in Slack instead of sending a big memo or, you know, a big email memo out. Um, you know, I'm thinking about like the, the companies I've been at, the founders or the executives or leaders of the company would just post an update in Slack versus sending everybody an email. And then even like people interacting with their managers or their team members, it all happens in Slack it's pretty obvious that, and I shouldn't say obvious, but it's it's the you know, it's a great opportunity for also having that insane engagement with your prospects through through the platform, because again, you link your Slack with theirs, you can have a direct access to them. They can't go dark on you when they're in a shared Slack. That's what I've found, and the only other tool that I've found better SMS is obviously and you know texting uh for for those who don't know what sms is i'm an industry guy for for that so uh text messaging is also uh, a great indicator of you're working you're moving in the right direction you're building the right champion at, at the deal once you start texting with your buyers you kind of for me that's like the one of the leading indicators of a deal i've is... I've closed
0: like five deals just from text messages and just because I I know how busy, you know, we are all on our phones and it's like, I would sign up for a demo or a trial just right on a text.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm the same way. I I, like, I, I check my email as often as I can, but SMS is pretty instant. People text me. I get back pretty quickly. Um, email, not so much. So when the deals that I've done that were significant in my career, I was, I was usually pretty confident they were going to close because I was texting. And texting with the right people and there was like a flutter of activity and you're, and you're thinking, okay, this is going to happen because we're, we're just in this now. We're, we're partners in this and my champion is really trying to get this done. So texting, the only other tool I'd throw out there for people that sell internationally outside of the US is WhatsApp. Uh, I've found this to be incredibly helpful for deals that I've done in Europe and Latin America. So uh, there's some cool functionality with it too like you can actually create a QR code. I know that's, uh, QR codes are back in now. I know they were kind of like passe for a while, but you can actually create a QR code and put it on your slide decks or put it on your email signature. And then when someone scans the QR code, it actually takes you to a direct message with your WhatsApp. And so what I did for a long time was I would put a QR code in a proposal or I'd put it in a follow-up document or deck. If I was sending over like a, an overview deck to a prospect, I'd put the QR code for my WhatsApp. And this is mainly for my, my foreign. WhatsApp is not super well adopted in the US yet. Um, I think there's a lot of people that do still use it, but I think SMS texting is really the main way people communicate on mobile in the US still.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: uh, yeah, you send this QR code out. And what I found was great about it is i'd I'd send out a proposal and then I'd have this QR code. and a couple of days later, someone would whatsapp me uh, from one of the prospect accounts and say, "Hey, we had a follow-up question on the pricing or whatever. And then you just wow. start this this mobile-based uh, conversation through whatsapp. and you can you can call people through WhatsApp too. You can do voice memos. same with SMS texting. It's all the same. But for the international, if you're selling to someone in Europe, uh, i I guarantee you'll get a really quick response back if you send uh, a WhatsApp to that person or you give them a way to send you a WhatsApp. Same with like South America, Latin America. India is also a massive market for WhatsApp. Um, so if you're selling into any of those markets heavily, i would I would strongly recommend if you're not already signed up for WhatsApp, get that going. and uh, and yeah, get get your prospects talking to you on mobile channels. And so, yeah, texting, Slack, WhatsApp, all really great channels to to, to bring your conversations in. Um, So, yeah, went on a and long time. Slack tangent. is
0: just, yeah, Slack, I, I can't say enough about Slack because basically you can use the huddle feature. And like people in our group and the SaaS sales player group, I mean, we can just huddle, you know, and I love that feature. And that's what I do with our, our SDRs and AEs, anybody at our company, we just huddle you know you just have a, a live conversation right there
1: yeah what other tools have you found a lot of success with just generally speaking share some of the 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 chase barmore tech stack
0: great great question chase barmore tech stack uh you know is interesting i was on a demo right before this and my a person that you uh, had on your podcast patrick parker he has a company called I think it's called Link Bridge, and it's an automation link LinkedIn profile, so it helps like with cadences on LinkedIn. Um, so I'm gonna test this one out. But the one I've been really playing with lately that I love, and I just I pay for it out of my own pocket, is Lavender.io, and that's a uh, AI email uh, tool. And then also, I mean, yeah, I think Lavender's been my my number one jam. Because it's
1: how how are you using it? What walk me through like a use case? I don't have it yet. Um, I've heard a lot about it, but tell us about what Lavender does.
0: So one thing that Lavender does is first it scores your email because it rates. It's a Chrome browser and a Chrome extension, and so it can rate your email of like, is this email likely to get read? What would you change? But one of the features that I just love is it actually pulls the prospect's email address and sees it scrubs their LinkedIn profile, their business profile page. So you can see like anything that's going on. So you can really personalize your message to that client. So you can say, oh, hey, congratulations on getting that new funding round or whatever. And I mean, wow. you can get super personal and it it's super simple.
1: huh? Yeah, that's that. I need to go check that out. I should definitely go check out uh, a demo of that or say at the very least a demo. I should go try it out with some of my stuff. That sounds awesome.
0: And they, I heard about them through Scotty Lisa's little sales club and mm-hmm. they offer their product to anybody that is not uh, employed. I think it, uh, they give you a free, a free version of this thing. So it can help you generate cold outbound. It can help with re, uh, replies. I'm not a great grammar person, so it really helps with <laughs> grammar. So that was my like plight. I like asked the Slack channel. I was like, "Yeah, I'm not writing great emails. I need help with this. What do you suggest?" All these people suggested Lavender and then another tool which I haven't tried out yet. So,
1: yeah, that's, cool.
0: That's really. Uh, I mean, that. <sighs> What else? I I mean, this this H7 network, uh, this H7 network that I've been a part of has been a key to my success. Um, And that's like a virtual networking group. Um, Yeah. And then, okay, I I, this is this is like a secret tool for me prospecting. I'm going to tell you. So I sell to marketing agencies and I know Mm -hmm. my phone is listening to me all the time. And so I allow Facebook ads to track me. So when I'm on Instagram, mm-hmm. agency owners are serving me ads
1: right all right. the
0: time. Every other, every third post is an ad for these agencies. I will click on these agencies and actually start prospecting these people. I might even prospect them in my DMs on LinkedIn, on uh, Instagram. And it's like, I'm getting served prospects. They're paying for ads and they're serving the ads and I'm prospecting so you,
1: them. So you just that take like, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to unpack that a little bit. Cause I think, again, you have such creative ways of, of like thinking about how to get connected to people. And so you're basically seeing an ad get served up. And that ad might have the name of the firm, right? Let's just call it, you know, Chase's Agency. That's marketing Chase's Marketing Agency. Legion, 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 Legion. Yeah, there you yeah, go, lead Legion. Yeah, Chase's, Chase's, Legion. Chase's yeah. Legion Agency. And then you're, you're saying, okay, I can go sell to that agency. So you click through the ad, or do you just copy the the URL and then go do some research? I might screenshot it,
0: or I click the ad. I might cost that person some money, and then <laughs> I call them and I say, how's that ad working out for you? Because you're targeting the wrong person. But oh, hey, that's
1: good. That's really I want to.
0: I I, I want to see how how is this ad performing for you? Yeah. Are, do you know what you're getting, Rojas? Wise? Do you know? Are you targeting the right people? Yeah. I, but I'm in a very. That's what I sell. Is I sell call tracking and form tracking, and for agencies to be able to show their value to their prospects. So that's. Yeah. But it. it I w- I was telling Antonio about this. It's like this is a free way. Basically they're paying me to prospect them.
1: That's so good. Yeah. And I've had, kind of... <laughs> I'm, I'm a big fan of doing that level of research up front on, on a buyer. Um, so in your case, you're, you're kind of seeing their marketing experience or their ad targeting experience first. Uh, one of the things that I've sold in the past is like chat I still sell chatbots, and I'll go and, go through their chatbot sequence and see, you know, the whole experience and then document some areas where there's missing functionality or there's confusing aspects of it that might turn a customer off. And then I'll, I'll, I used to record those into a video and send a video saying, Hey, I just went through your bot experience and noticed this, uh, you know, aspect of your bot was unclear and it was awkward and didn't work or it was broken, whatever it is. Um, Just wanted to bring that to your attention, by the way, um, I'm in the business of selling chatbots, right? So that's one way that I've done it. We used to do these like site audits at a company I worked for where we would go and audit their entire website experience from start to finish, like the conversion funnel. Uh, it was an e commerce SaaS product. So it was like, let's go through. And in a lot of cases, we would actually go through and actually buy something. And our founder would let us expense it, uh, which is really fun, like, because we were prospecting brands like Under Armour yes. and Sonos. And I'm trying to think of some of the other brands that we bought stuff from. So we actually went through and we would purchase stuff and we could expense it. And we did it kind of in the name of, hey, we're we're just doing an audit on your site. We went through and purchased something from underarmor.com. And we noticed that there was all these friction points in the customer journey. And we want to show you how we can help you improve those. And so those are the best pitches. People really, really respond well to that level of research the challenge that I've found with that is it's hard. It's hard to do at scale. Um, you've got to be very. you got to be selling a SaaS product that that can you can charge a pretty good amount for, in order to justify an amount of time spent on doing that level of research, or in that case, even buying the product and per, you know going through a whole sales funnel and buying something, to then prospect. Um, so if you're selling kind of a lower ticket thing, it's it's harder to get that much research in and justify it. You have to know that you're prospecting you know a brand that's gonna be able to give you I don't know six figures plus uh six or multiple six figures plus back in in potential you know ARr revenue so but yeah i'm I'm a huge fan of it and that sounds good so it sounds like you've pinpointed an area where you can go and do that kind of research on on your buyers and get you know basically people paying to talk to you <laughs>
0: well and and we use this uh, little tool called uh what is it called it's called uh the cookie editor and so we can just go on to somebody's website and i can see all the cookies that are on the website and i can know instantly like are you using call rail are you using call tracking metrics um and what you were just saying jesse is like how can i provide value and it yeah that i think value is really what gets a lot of these SDRs and people to get booked the meetings is showing the value, showing you care. And it's like, let's get into this. Let's have a 15, 20 minute discussion with an AE that understands the pain points because you're really talking to their pain
1: points. Yeah. Have you used chat GPT at all for anything selling related yet?
0: I, I have not. I'm not on this train yet. The thing, the chat GDP that I have been a part of is uh, a company that I actually prospected. They're called ZyraTalk and they have an AI white labeled chat bot. So they sell to agencies and I think now they're integrated with chat uh, GDP or what is G, it? Is it G, chat?
1: Uh, yeah, GPT. Chat G, GPT. Yeah,
0: chat GPT. <laughs> See, I don't even know the acronyms yet, but right. it's really amazing. I mean, I I uh, I'm watching people on LinkedIn. I'm watching, you know, these I think it's a great technology. I had a really interesting meeting with a guy who helps with automation and i mean he's just taking this to the next level and he's like in 30 and 2050 we're all gonna the human race is no longer going to be in existence we're going to merge <laughs> human with technology i'm like i don't yeah. think we're there i don't know if that's going to happen i mean but there are a lot of big questions but it doesn't i mean it's i asked it to write me a bio and it didn't do yeah. a good job
1: um, really okay well this, it was this all was...
0: untrue information it said i went to harvard all this this was, is very interesting.
1: So this is chat, this is chat GPT, or this is another tool
0: that was chat GDP. Yeah. And I pulled, uh, I had the my link of my, I said, yeah. write me a bio from my LinkedIn and it just didn't do anything. I probably didn't know the prompts and that's what I'm realizing.
1: So, so here's my take, like I, I, it's a hype cycle, right? In the business, everyone's talking about it right now. I hate to even give it a lot more attention because I'm not an expert on it. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not. I'm probably not using it in a super interesting or, or novel way, and I don't know that there's. I got. I, I think it's going to change a lot of things. I do believe that. How quickly that happens, I don't know. Um, how much, how much change, also hard to know. But I'll just share how I've used it. I did download it. I'm not doing. I'm not doing the paid version of it. I do know some some colleagues of mine are, and what I did so far that I thought was helpful was we were doing a trade show and I said, write a, a three-step sales prospecting sequence focused on this event with these details about the location of the event and the booth and everything else. And please write like a three-step email sequence inviting buyers of this, per you know, buyers of this profile to this event. And it actually did a pretty good job. I still took what GPT spit out and I reworded a lot of things to make it my own, to make it sound a little more personalized and and a little more human. But sometimes one of the biggest challenges for me that, that I've had with like creating prospecting emails or creating content for the show or whatever is you just need someone to kind of get the ball rolling or something, in this case, something, not someone. And sometimes you just need to get the creative process started. It's easier to look at an existing email sequence template and say, oh, I can just tweak a few things and now it's now it's a really good sequence versus writing it from scratch and starting with a blank piece of paper, a blank canvas, blank Word document, whatever it is, and having to then write a prospecting email. So it was really helpful for that. I thought the the sequence structure looked really good. Um, like I said, made some changes and and changed some wording. But overall, it was a really easy way to quickly get a sequence put together. The other way I'm hearing about it getting used is for people who are prospecting uh, prospecting into a very specific list of brands and they want to maybe pull out the name of the CFO for every one of those brands or something like that. So if you're targeting 15 or 20 or 30 named accounts and you want to know who the CFO is at those accounts because you want to make sure that you're aware of who that person is in your deal cycle or maybe you want to prospect into that person. It might even be able to fetch their email addresses. I don't know about that yet, so don't quote me on that. But at the very least, you get the name of of the CFO of your top ten prospecting accounts, and then you can go look that person up on LinkedIn and connect with them, or go find their email address in your in your you know Zoom Info account or whatever you use for lead gen um, prospecting data. So that's those are a couple of ways that I've heard it used. Um, I think it's I've probably, had a
0: lot of our SDRs just think that it's it they're using it a lot. It's not yeah. a, it's not a silver bullet and that's I think a lot of people I think the hype is making people think that it's a silver bullet. It's not that.
1: It's definitely not a silver bullet. Um and I think like the the mo- the monetization opportunity for it is more in the the supplementary stuff. Uh so one idea that I've had is so someone could create for example, a, a training course on how to write prompts. Cause that, that seems to be the hardest part about it. If you don't prompt chat GPT really well, then you get what you put into it. The inputs or the outputs reflect the inputs, right? So whatever you put into it is what you're going to get out of it. So the better your prompts are, and by prompts, I mean, like, I need a sequence that's geared towards, or I need an email template, a cold email template that's geared towards this type of buyer, with this type of message with this specific data point da, 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 like the very specific prompts are going to help the the in product come out a lot better and it seems like a, especially sellers we have a hard time like figuring out what those inputs are those prompts are and so i think someone could probably create a course that's sales inputs for or sales prompts for chat gpt that'll help you scale your book a business or something and probably make a good amount of money. So the analogy that I've heard a bunch of times and I'll repeat it because I think it's a good one is the, in the gold rush, it was the people selling the shovels and the Levi's jeans that made the most money. Not the, not necessarily the gold miners. Right. And so I think GPT is like the, it's the gold miner. uh, But the people that are really going to make a lot of money from chat GPT are the people selling the Levi's jeans and the shovels. And an example of the Levi's jeans or shovels is selling courses around how to use it more efficiently. Jasper selling... AI.
0: Would Jasper yeah. AI be one of those? Or is that, is it competing? Like, I don't understand. That's what I don't understand about this whole thing.
1: It's funny. I know the guys at Jasper, um, but I don't, I don't have a lot of familiarity with the product personally. And I feel like they've been working on it since well before chat GPT was released. So there's, theirs might be completely different. I think it's more geared towards marketers also. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, those, yeah, those guys are based in Austin. I actually worked in in the same office as them for a while. Um, they had a different company that was named something else before. But, uh, yeah, I don't I'm not too familiar with what Jasper does. I should look into that. I think it's more geared towards like marketing content creation. But yeah, I think the the possibilities are big. I think there's like ways to make money from it. And so I think where it'll get exciting for SaAS companies is you'll probably see a lot of SaAS companies incorporate features that that rely on chat gpt into their existing product so if you're selling a you know a, Mar- a martech saas then there's probably some content generation element that's going to be added into that saas as part of this this you know now open source technology or if you're selling you know a sales enablement or acceleration software then there's going to be some ai generative piece that goes into that product that helps faster you know helps you write a sequence faster or maybe helps you Summarize data in a way that you couldn't before. And that's actually one of the biggest use cases that I haven't yet explored. Is apparently you can put very long form text into Chat GPT and condense it down to like a few key bullet points. And where I could see that being valuable for sellers is I don't know if this is possible yet. I'm just sort of spitballing here on a Friday afternoon. But if you've ever gotten back a really long, uh, service agreement or doc? You know, uh, like a service agreement or a security uh security document, like uh, for for doing your deals, right? You have like an order form, and then you have the master uh, master service agreement. And so sometimes the the prospect will redline those agreements, right? And they'll add in a bunch of language. So you could probably summarize a really long and complex legal document in chat GPT, and then take those, those summary points and send them to your manager or your general counsel and say, Hey, it seems like the prospect needs to change these three aspects of the contract for us to get this deal done. Again, don't try this at home kids, (laughs) Um, you know, check with your manager first before you do stuff like that. I don't know if it's theoretically, I think possible and plausible that that's like a, a use case, but before you go start (laughs) dumping legal documents into it and and trying to have chat GPT do your job um, I would, I would definitely, you know, get some guidance on it, but I think that's summarizing. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. yeah, Do you think, I mean, do you think chat GDP, because last
0: night we were watching the news and, Old TikTok was on the news talking to the old government, you know, and it's yeah. like, man, are they, is, is all this information just getting sucked in and it's just somebody's able to look at everything that's inputted into this system? And is it SOC 2 compliant? Is it, is it HIPAA compliant? I mean,
1: <laughs> probably not. I would say no on both of those, um, for sure. Definitely yeah, not HIPAA so, compliant.
0: Yeah. Be careful. If whatever you put on this thing, just somebody probably will see what you put on this thing. <laughs>
1: Oh, hundred percent. I, I I don't know this for sure, but I know that that Sam Altman, the guy behind it, was trying to build a neural network, which is basically like, yeah, it's like indexing all of the information in the world uh in in one place. I don't know if this product or this chat GPT ties into that vision or not. I really I'm really not that educated on it, other than I used it to write an email sequence for selling. Uh, Did it which sell anything,
0: would... Jesse? That's my question. Did it sell? Has it? <laughs> Got you a no. lead, meeting, or a sale, or you haven't no. tested it out yet. It, it it's I, still in I did, test.
1: I did test it. I have not actually heard anything back yet, but it is pretty okay. a pretty new right. campaign.
0: I want to hear somebody that has sold something yeah. with something written from Chat GPT, Chat, whatever it is.
1: All right, let's. That's great. Guest that's request. A, guest we, request, please. Chase and I want to have someone on the show that has successfully sold SaaS or whatever product using chat GPT, whatever, but I'm sure there's, whatever.
0: Whatever. I'm, sure there's
1: yeah. I'm sure there's plenty of demo bookings out there. I'm sure there's plenty of like leads generated and hell for, for all I know, someone has sold a SAS deal using chat GPT in some way, but I'd be curious to talk to some people who've done it. Um, I don't think it's going to replace sellers either. And I know that that sentiment's pretty common. That's not a hot take by any means. Most people agree, especially for the more strategic deals that involve lots of stakeholders, a complex buying process, uh you know documentation legal exchange all the stuff that's in the kind of traditional like commercial or mid uh, market or enterprise deal cycle you can't have an automation you can't have a bot replace that um you know maybe maybe someday there's a bot that can field inbound order taking so if you sell a a highly transactional saas product that's you know inbound and sign up with your credit card then it's i'd, I'd say it's pretty possible very soon that Generative AI or chat GPT could could field an order in that way. But if you're doing outbound selling to large enterprises, no. But I am always curious about how it could supplement what sellers are doing. Because here's here's the thing, and you know this too now that you're in the enterprise or you're in the AE seat, and I know you've done an enterprise deal also. You've got to find force multipliers in your day. You have to find. Uh, ways that you can streamline your own efforts to keep your process going, right? And sometimes in in good companies, they've built a way to do that easily, right? There's team members that help you with different aspects of the sales cycle. There's you know technical consultants that help you with that. You've got managers who are air co- you know giving you air cover through the whole process. But in startups, a lot of that doesn't exist. So if you're selling you know, SaaS as an AE in a startup, you probably don't have a bunch of resources. And I think ChatGPT might be one of those ways where you can get more done with less. You can use it to write a sequence in two minutes rather than sit down and kill an hour or two hours writing a sequence or whatever, however long it takes you to do it on your own. You might be able to use it to, to query lists of things or, or condensed long documents down to really simple terms. And I think it, it could be a really good enabler of of minimizing the complexity in in our business.
0: And I think it's going to help what we talked about at the beginning is it's going to help founders with selling. I think that that's going to be a potential help for even getting people into the startup ecosystem.
1: Yeah, I think so too. I really think so too. And that, you know, look, this is one of the fun things about selling SaaS and tech is it is the wild west. It it always kind of has been. And we're going to continue to see really cool innovation. This is just the start of things, you know, there's who knows what comes out in six months, like in a year from now, the world could look totally different. And it's fun to be part of a tech company where you're selling on that curve, right on that, that uh, innovation curve. And so, uh I'm excited for it. I think it's really cool. I need to play around with it a little bit more. I'm gonna keep playing around with it and and probably talking a little bit more about it in the show. again, I don't feel I don't feel super qualified to talk about it now because I haven't done a lot of research on it other than put a couple of prompts in. but uh but yeah, I think it it opens up a lot of cool possibilities. love it. well, uh what wh- uh, anything? anything you want to promote or talk about uh, before we wrap up?
0: Yeah, I, I just, uh, you know, the, the the job climate has really shifted since I first got in this business and I, I want to put it out there that there are companies that are still hiring and there's a lot of resources um, and there's a lot of groups for that. One of them is Powder Keg and in Indy and, Uh, there's just so many good job boards. And I I really think if we can connect to each other that we can all lift, everybody can lift the boat, you know, it's like, we can, there is a way to find new roles. There is a way to do different things. So I know it's been, every time I look at my news thing, it looks like somebody else has laid off 10,000 people. Um, You know, and that's, that's tough to think about, but you gotta, you know what I love about you, Jesse, and what I'm going to work on now is I'm going to work on my own personal brand because that's what I always will have. And nobody can, nobody can take that away from you. And I was in a meeting with the corporate bro and Scott Lee, Scott Lee's had the corporate bro on, uh, his little. Tequila Tuesdays. And I mean, it was just amazing hearing this guy, Ryan's story, and how he has just skyrocketed his clout from being a seller, you know? And it's his brand.
1: Yeah. Well, I think Scott, he, I think this is from Scott. And I'm going to totally butcher the quote, but it, it's something like job security is like feeling secure at your company with your relationship with your boss and your ability to sell your product. But like career and brand security is like a whole nother level, right? When you have a brand and you have a reputation, and by the way, the, uh, having a brand doesn't mean you have to post on LinkedIn. It doesn't mean you have to have a podcast. It doesn't mean you have to have a newsletter or a blog. It just means that you are you have a reputation in your industry of being able to drive results and get stuff done. So start there. You know, A lot of people think when they hear personal brand that they're like, oh shit, I got to go start posting on LinkedIn. And I don't know, I got to set up a Substack or something like that. But I don't think that's what it is. I think having a brand is still just being the best at at what you do and finding an area where you've continually delivered results and then having that reputation precede you. Right. That way, if you do get laid off or, or, you know, you do have to change jobs, your next employer will be able to quickly find out from your network who you are and what you're capable of. And I'm really glad that, that we're, we're talking about this because I think you do such a good job in the community of, of, keeping an ear to the ground for opportunities because we've had a couple people come into our Slack channel and say, hey, I'm out of work. Uh, who knows what's out there? And, and Chase is usually the first one to respond with a couple of job links to to different things. And it's a tough market out there right now. Um, my thoughts on that are it's just going to take a little longer, quite a bit longer than it used to take to, to land a good job uh, in SaaS than it did a year ago or two years ago. Um, so prepare accordingly. So, uh, you know, how I would prepare is just always kind of be ready, have your, you know, plan B in place and be thinking about what you would do if you lost your job tomorrow suddenly and, and how you would, would go about finding your next thing. And then the tactic that seems that I I hear seems to be working really well that I know a lot of people in the community have have deployed is find out, you know, build a dream list of companies you want to work for um, and then start reaching out to the sellers at that company. That can be the SDRs, that can be the AEs, but reach out to the actual contributors. And in a lot of cases, they get a referral fee for recommending candidates. And so start to network with those people and spend some time adding value to those people and they will introduce you to their leadership. You can also go and and message the VP of sales at at a company you want to work for. I think that's not a bad move. Just make sure that when you do that, you, you know, you're ready to like, just make sure you do some preparation, right? Don't just spam VPs of sales. Um, It's not going to get you the result you want, but if you go in and and have maybe uh, an opinion on something or a hypothesis on something or an idea, I would share those things. But yeah, you seem to do a really good job of keeping an ear out for ops.
0: And well, you know, it's very interesting. So we're in flyover country. So it's like Indiana, Kentucky, Tennessee, but we're actually starting to get a huge range of VC funding over here. And there is just a lot of talent that I'm starting to see. Like a lot of people that are successful in this business come from customer service background that might mm-hmm. not even have, I don't have a tech background and I love yeah. this background or I love this job, this this field. Um, and I really attribute it to all my valeting, making smoothies for people, working yeah. at a bar, you know, whatever. Uh those soft skills are very important and don't lose they really are. They I mean, I I think the soft skills, we're losing that um as a culture. And it's like being a human and like creating relationships. Yeah. You know, that's I want to be known as a super connector and as a person that basically I'm a concierge, a business yeah. concierge. I can push people to wherever they need to go. And that's like my
1: gift. I love that. And yeah, the, people from all kinds of backgrounds are going to continue to be successful. And I think leaning into that, like owning that, owning your background and saying, Hey, I came from the smoothie shop or I came from, you know, again, I've worked with a lot of people that came from hospitality or or, or banking or whatever, and are jumping into this. And they're using that to their advantage in some form or fashion. So um, yeah, using your network Hanging in there. It's. I think maybe it was you who said it in the community that it's probably best just to turn off notifications right now. If you've got a Google keyword set up for layoffs, turn it off. It's not doing you any favors. I, you said something to this extent. Um, just like to turn that news alert off because there's going to be more layoffs. It's it's not fun news. It's it's certainly devastating to see in the industry. Um, and you know I think everyone should be thinking right now about. That everyone should be thinking that they don't really have job security this year. Um, nobody really does. It doesn't matter if you work for a top five tech company or if you're at an early startup or somewhere in between, you don't really have full job security this year. So think about career security as as Scott Lees puts it. Like, how do you how do you get career in, in professional security? Like start building out your brand and start doing things that add value to others and, and as Chase is doing, start growing your network and start finding ways that you can, you know, cross pollinate as the jargon is, is like introducing people who don't know each other and add that value. So you're, you're super good at that. And it's been awesome to see you help a bunch of people out who've, who've been looking for, for their next thing.
0: Well, you've helped me out a lot, Jesse, this has been fun. And if I could be a resource to anybody, or if anybody needs uh, call tracking and they're unhappy with call rail or call tracking metrics. Uh, just land me in my DMs, and I'll make it. I'll make
1: it happen. What's uh What's the best way to reach you these days?
0: LinkedIn. I, I would say LinkedIn is gold for me. Uh, I'm also on Instagram at Mr. Life Bar. Um, I'm pretty active on. Well, I'm a little bit active on that. Uh, but yeah, either LinkedIn or Instagram. Those are my two channels.
1: Well, Chase, a pleasure having you on, man. Love having you in the community and uh on to the next deal. On
0: to the next deal. I look forward to finishing twenty twenty-three out as a killer year. We're gonna do it, Jesse, and we're in this together. Yeah.